I think that's one of our greatest gifts is that we really understand discernment. And by that, I mean, not just what feels good and what feels right or what I think kind of sounds like a good idea or I think sounds okay, but to really go deep on prayer and even just in a purely secular world analysis of what you're embarking on. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that... What is up, Game Changers? Welcome to... The final episode of 2018, I am very excited to re-release in its entirety episode 100, which was my most favorite episode of the year, and turns out it was yours as well, as one of yours as well anyway, one of the most popular, and that was the episode with a very special guest who happens to also be my beautiful wife, Lisa. This was an insightful conversation, a vulnerable conversation, and one that I will constantly go back to and draw inspiration from, and I hope that you do as well, and I hope that you enjoy it. There are tons of things happening in 2019 for me and for the Impact Entrepreneur Show and our family, and the largest one of those happening early in 2019 is the launch of my first book, Master the Key, A Story to Free Your Potential, Find Meaning, and Live Life on Purpose, and I hope that this book touches you the way that it did me while I was writing it. And I'm so grateful for all the tremendous feedback and uh, endorsements I've received from some early readers like Lou Holtz, Mel Robbins, John Gordon, Amy K. Hutchins, Caroline Burkle, Dr. Jim Aframow, and many, many others who have offered their encouragement and support along the way. And I look forward to sharing this work with you. And I am confident that it is going to have a big impact in your life. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and enjoy this encore episode, a conversation between me and my beautiful wife, Lisa. Happy New Year. Here we are, episode number 100. It's been an incredible journey, and there have been so many, many people along the way who have supported me and encouraged me on this journey and mentored me and maybe even yelled at me from time to time. But the person who has supported me the most and been one of the greatest inspirations behind the podcast and one of the biggest motivators is none other than my beautiful bride, Lisa. And I am incredibly honored to have you as our special top secret guest for episode 100. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. So let me ask you a question before we lay down the ground rules for this conversation. So okay. when, when you 
heard me or when I asked you to be the special guest for episode 100, how did you feel? I was surprised at first. And then I felt uh, very honored and flattered that you would want me to be guest 100. And then the second thought was, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be exciting enough for everybody <laughs> compared yes. to Navy SEALs and CEOs. Yes. Well, you are very exciting, especially to me. <laughs> and here we are tonight on this beautiful Tuesday evening. The kids are in bed. We are in our candlelit room. You're drinking some hot tea because you're not feeling well. So thank you very much for, for sacrificing your rest to, to help us be on episode 100 for the production team schedule. And I am sipping on some bourbon because that is what I do. That's the usual. So here are the ground rules for our conversation today. Okay. We're going to break it up into three parts. We're going to have some warm up questions to get the kind of conversation flowing and the juices going in your brain. Okay. And those are going to be kind of more fun and kind of easy. And then we're going to have some middle questions in the middle of our conversation that are going to be a little bit more challenging and require us to be a little bit more raw and authentic and real because we're real and we have real pains, real hurts, real joys, real victories, real failures. And I, I, we need more of the real relationships in the world. And the third part of the interview will be the same three questions that I ask for every <laughs> single guest. So the final rule is okay. that any question that I ask you if you want, you may also turn around and ask me that question. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Okay. All right. So here we go. All right. All right. I'm ready. So Lisa, if you were to be stranded on a desert island, <laughs> what three books would you bring and what three people would you bring? Okay. And they can't be me. Okay. And they can't be our children. Okay. Obviously, because one would be left out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, that's funny that you asked this because I was thinking, what if he asks me something about uh, last food on a deserted island or something? <laughs> so, but um, I had no preparation for this, by the way. So this is all totally on the fly. So as we like it, yeah, yeah. Um, three books. Gosh, that would be really hard. Okay, well, I'm gonna cheat a little bit and say my anthology of Jane Austen. No, <laughs> for one of them. For one, <laughs> it is one book okay. technically. Okay. Um, because Pride and Prejudice is historically my favorite book. What about um, Pride and Prejudice? Uh, I just I love the way Jane Austen develops characters, uh, and then I've loved the movie adaptations, and I love the way she makes romance without any of the trashy part and shows real relationships. So. Real um, relationships don't have trashiness? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, okay. Um, and then next book, I guess let's just go real cliche and go with the Bible. By the way, you just noticed something in there because Lisa's a master at changing the subject. <laughs> and then a final one, I don't know, the one that's really that's coming to mind right now, because if you were deserted on a deserted island, I mean, a lot of that would be hard. I think is uh, 1,000 Gifts. Mm. Tell people about so, that book. That is a really great book. Yeah. Well, um, 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp uh, is a book about finding gratitude 
in the smallest and most mundane and everyday things. And it started with her, the author's friend challenged her to write a list of a thousand things she was grateful for uh, when they were going through a hard time. And she wrote down really silly things like the bubbles in the sink while doing dishes and shredded cheese curls as she shredded cheese for her family's dinner and the old man laughing at the grocery store. Um, And that book, when I read it first, oh my gosh, I don't know, five, six years ago now, was deeply impactful and I've gifted it to many people since then. So, and I I haven't read it for a while. So, you know, it would be a little fresh. What was the most groundbreaking realization or revelation that you had about yourself in reading that book? Well, that's really hard to be grateful in hard times, but that's what she says we have to do. And that's what Eucharisteo living, that's the word that she uses in the book a lot, which means Thanksgiving. Um, It means even when things are really crappy, that you have to give thanks. And she gives really raw, very authentic descriptions of things that have happened to her and things that have happened to people. And I've had nothing to that scale. And yet, you know, you find you can be grateful in those times. So now what three people, and we will get more into gratitude and adversity and all of that stuff later. We're not going to skip out on the opportunity to unpack that for people. Yeah. But now what three people would you bring with you? That, God, that's really hard. Um, do they have to be alive now? Right first now? of all, no, that's a cop out. Okay. <laughs> okay. They have to be alive. Now, first of all, Lisa loves her friends all very, yeah, very yeah. much. Yeah. So. They, Can I cheat and say my women's group all together again? No. <laughs> no not not no. three groups, you know, three people. Three people that have had the most, in, I'll, I'll narrow it down. Okay. Three people who have had the most influence on who you have become that you would want to make sure keep you on the path to becoming who you were meant to be. Okay. All right. Well, that narrowed it down a lot. Okay. Well, I'll go first with my mom. Um, she would have to be there with me because I model so much of who I am as a mother and a wife. Uh, and just a person after her. Um, second would be my dear friend Eve, who was so very instrumental in our your my dating and early marriage, um, and who I absolutely model our marriage after her and her husband's and her parenting also. And then finally would be Colleen, mm. because um, I would never be tired of talking to her and <laughs> never be tired of spending time with her. And I've said this to her before that. Uh, she is a true friend because we are leading each other on the path to virtue. I love that you picked those three women because they they actually are all very different and all very instrumental in your relationship. And they all in their own way will snap you out of your BS when you're, <laughs> when you're in your, you're in, stuck in your mind and, yeah. and especially Colleen, Colleen, yeah. like, I think that she can really do a good job of that. Yeah. Maybe share a story about a time when Colleen has really helped you snap out of something. Okay, well, the first one that comes to mind is something kind of inconsequential, but is a good uh, example, was your 30th birthday. Um, We started, I was pregnant with Mick, and we were living in our little house, but we knew we wanted to do a big party for you. And um, you and I started having discussions about doing a 1930s Prohibition-era theme party Frank Sinatra, that kind of stuff. And then it was getting 
really, I thought it was going to be very complicated and costumes were going to, you wanted people to come in costume was going to be really hard. And I was getting like really dug in on not doing it and you were getting upset. And I remember talking to Colleen and her being like, why don't you just do something different? Like, why don't you just pick a different theme? Like, keep the party, don't throw everything out, just do a different theme. So that was when the Pirates of the Caribbean theme came about. And it's still to this day one of the most epic parties it we've was ever had. So much fun. I our friends Colleen and Brennan Roach own a winery up in in Sonoma called Roach Winery. You all need to Shameless go visit. Plug. It. Yes. <laughs> you all need to go visit it because it's a phenomenal family, phenomenal wine award-winning wine and they brought down some barrels some empty barrels and we literally made our backyard patio like the deck of a ship uh, yeah ship and yeah, it was so incredible and we had a great uh blast with all of our friends and to this day i, I still remember that yeah now what was your no, no uh, i'm not gonna food? go i'm not gonna go no i'm not gonna go to that question yet okay. um what activity could you do without getting bored Activity. Without ever getting bored. I mean, reading, I think. I don't No, know. you would fall asleep. No. <laughs> okay. Um which means you're getting cooking. bored. Cooking. Okay. Yeah. If you could cook for anybody, who would you cook for? Wow. Um God, well, I'll just keep going with whoever first thing comes to mind. First thing that comes to mind is Pope Francis. Hmm. I don't know why. I just think like that would be really, really cool. What what would you cook for him? I would definitely not do anything Italian <laughs> because he lives in Rome. I'm and he's got the best Italian food in his back door. Um, probably fish. Mm. Mm. You, I you, just because I feel like I'm yeah. kind of that's kind of coming a specialty. All right, we're gonna move on to a an interesting question, and you may want to ask this one of me too. Just okay, you know, what was your first impression of me? <laughs> Well, I mean, at what point? At age nine or at age oh, <laughs> 16? Yes. Or, you know, okay, well, let's take people through the journey. <laughs> okay. Let's do age nine. Let's do when I came back from Australia okay, and so I like visited eight, you in yeah, college. Like 19. And then at my sister's 25th we birthday. Okay. Um, well, actually, I feel like my first memory of you from the summer camp we go to, I don't think it was nine. I think it was more like probably 11 or 12. And um, you would constantly ask for me to help you talk to the other girls. And I just remember being like, thinking that was really annoying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that you should just do your own talking. <laughs> so that was my impression from you then. Um, then uh, when you came to visit me and Angela in San Francisco when I was in college, I thought, oh my gosh, he is so full of himself because <laughs> <laughs> you just talked about your job in the mall and the party you were going to go to. My job at the mall. Yeah. Mr. And, Rags. Yeah. Working out and yeah. People won't believe what I had going on then. Yeah. Why don't you fill in the blanks a little bit? <laughs> what do you mean? With your ear piercings? My ear piercings. <laughs> and did I have my tongue pierced think, at that time? I think it was still there. Yeah. And my tattoo on my hairy back. Yeah. <laughs> so when I came to visit you and Angela and we were walking up the stairs to your all's dorm room, what was the what was the question I asked you guys? Um, well, you were behind us walking up the stairs and you infamously said, "Wow, do you girls work out?" <laughs> <laughs> and we have never let you live it down to this no. day. 
So you basically couldn't wait until I left, basically. Yeah, right? we basically invented that we yeah. had to do homework so that yeah. she would have to go. Yeah. So anyways, then fast, fast, for, uh, fast forward. Um, Several two years. years. No, 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 two years. Two that was, years. That was, no. so, that was sophomore year. So then so- senior year. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, December, and we reconnected your sister's birthday in downtown San Francisco. And um, I just remember starting to talk to you right away and it just being like very easy. We had so much to talk about and we basically ignored everybody else the whole rest of the night and just talked the whole night. Mm-hmm. And and I distinctly remember leaving, getting in a taxi with my friends to go back to our house thinking, hmm, that was interesting. Like maybe, you know, maybe we'll talk again. Now, <laughs> you want to share your side <laughs> of that part of the story? <laughs> so my first impression of you, I do remember at camp, you pulling the curtains and telling me to go talk to Anna Ricardo myself. Yeah. Because that's who I had to crush on at the time. Yeah. And, but actually, I just really remember like throughout our growing up together, just how radiant your smile was and your laugh. And you you have this contagious like laugh that it it never gets old. It never gets annoying, which is very important. <laughs> and and it's just refreshing. And it and it I think it gives life. And people love to laugh with you. And I remember one time. This is after I'm kind of skipping something, but this is after we had started dating, and and you were taking some pictures with your mom and sisters, and you were standing in the middle of the crowd of that group of girls, and and. You just had this radiant smile, and you still do, and and it's just stunning, and it never ceases to take my breath away. So, yes, I was a total tool in <laughs> when I was nineteen years old, and I was working for a company called Mister Rags, and I was which is now out of business, which is now out of business, and that we sold like rave gear and all kinds of stuff. And I had moved back from doing a year of youth ministry in Australia, and I was l- lost a little bit. Um, I was wayward, if you will, and I just really didn't know who I was or or anything, and and I was seeking all kinds of things that other people said I should do, such as piercing my ears and my tongue and getting a tattoo on my back, which no one could see anymore because I have a, you know, you, you always to, wear a sun shirt. I always wear a sun shirt, <laughs> and even if I didn't, you'd have to comb through my back hair to see it. Sorry for the description, ladies. <laughs> I know it it makes you all like really giddy, but you know, <laughs> no. So I was totally into myself. I truly was. And I really just kind of wanted to hook up with you at that time. I think like if I was really being honest, I was really alone and I knew no one in, in San Francisco except for you and Angela and, you know, these other girls that I had met at the mall in Daly City had invited me to some rave that night and I was like no I'm I'm not going to do that. But fast forward to Joy's 25th birthday at the Bubble Lounge in San Francisco which I really did not want to go to. My sister Joy had invited I had just moved home from San Luis Obispo. That's another long story. That's another yeah. long story. <laughs> Say that for another time. And I was super bummed out. It was November and my sister said, hey, well, I'm having my 25th birthday party at the Bubble Lounge in San Francisco in December and I want you to come. And I'm like, I don't want to go hang out with you and your friends. I don't like your friends. I like you, but I don't like your friends. And that wasn't really true. I was just in a really bad mood. 
friends of joy, I do actually still, I do like you. <laughs> um, but what she said that got me was, well, Lisa Johnston and her roommates are going to be there. Yeah, her, her seven roommates. <laughs> and I'm like, Lisa Johnston and her seven roommates? <laughs> Odds are good. I'm in. <laughs> and so we went. It was a very cold December night. And we were in this lounge that had nothing but like couches and all they and served love seats. W- and love seats and, and all they served was champagne and I think some really bad bottled beer mm-hmm. and it had to have bubbles in it apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was just like waiting with anticipation for you to come and for, for me to ha- not have to talk to lame people anymore. And I hadn't seen you or any of, or, or Angela or your other six roommates um, in you know two and a half years, yeah. years or so, and I remember when that door opened and a gust of wind blew in and like hit me on the back of the neck, and I turn around and I see you walking through. In fact, you're wearing like hoop earrings right now that are very similar to the ones that you were wearing that night. You had your hair pulled back in this really tight high bun. And you were wearing this very long red suede coat. coat. And I was like, Lisa Johnston, (laughs) what happened? (laughs) Holy smokes. And so literally we started talking. I saw your roommates, but I was like, nope, I'm I'm talking to you all night as, as long as I can. And then, you know, we kind of got to a lull in the conversation. and. There was nowhere to sit. So we were about to like depart from each other when this couple who was sitting in a love seat got up and said, hey, would you guys like to sit here? And we talked to each other the rest of the night. We did not interact with anybody. Mm -hmm. And I knew that night that I was going to marry you. (laughs) And I started calling people and telling them. (laughs) And unfortunately for me, uh, that message wasn't clearly communicated to you until much, much later. (laughs) Uh, In fact, we won't go there, people, but Lisa basically just had to like figure out that she wasn't called to be a nun. Uh, (laughs) But I I knew that already. I could could tell her if she asked me, but she didn't ask me. Okay, so what are two or three things about our family? We now have four children. We are in our 14th 14th year of marriage. Well, it's going to be 14. It's going to be 14 year in October. What are two or three things about our family that you are proud of? I'm proud of many things um, about our, yeah, about our relationship and our family. Um, First thing that comes to mind is we're very intentional about our time together and making time for each other, you and me, and for time together as a family. I am proud that. I think our children would tell anybody who meets them that their parents love each other and that they know that your and my relationship is primary in the house. Um, And I'm proud that our children are welcoming to everyone that we have to the house, um, that they really understand hospitality. Is there a particular story that comes to mind about our children and hospitality? 
I don't I mean, there's a lot of little things, you know I mean? They, they love having people over whenever we're getting ready, you know, lately now, now that we started using cloth and napkins again, it's like a big competition to see who gets to put the cloth and napkins together and use the fancy napkin rings uh, that my mother-in-law has. And whenever there's little kids over, you know, they love to take them to the backyard and take them on the play- playground to keep Odie calm so he doesn't jump on the bit, the new kids and yeah. When you think about how you'd like other people to describe you, your characteristics, your traits. How would you like them to describe you? I would like people to describe me as conscientious, uh, as thoughtful. That's a big word. What does that? <laughs> what does conscientious mean? I think of that. That I think of other don't, people. Don't their start needs. dropping big <laughs> University of San Francisco words like dysphoria, no, no. On diaspora, us, diaspora. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I would want people to describe me as smart and as a woman who loves her family. Why are those important to you? Being thoughtful is important to me because I feel like that opens the doors to other people when they know that you're thinking of them and you're you know trying to put their needs first. Being smart is um just part of my identity. You are smart. And quick my whole life. And um, that's just a gift. And then um, as someone who loves her family, I want to be known as that because that is the most important thing of all. So, Based on our marriage experience, and, and we do have a really rich, not perfect marriage, but there are a lot of people here who... We get a lot of positive feedback about our, our relationship and how we treat each other and how we live out in the world. So based on our, our marriage experiences, what advice would you give to couples who are dating? Incidentally, we also coach some married or some engaged couples. Engaged couples. So yeah. what, what's some advice that you would give to people that are dating and thinking about making a lifelong commitment? Well, first of all, only date somebody if you're, you're in for the long haul. Be committed to the process and to discernment. I think that's one of our greatest gifts is that we really understand discernment. And by that, I mean, not just what feels good and what feels right or what I think kind of sounds like a good idea or I think sounds okay, but to really go deep on prayer and even just in a purely secular world analysis of what you're embarking on. I would tell uh, dating couples to start making good habits now um, because that's, I think, the key to your and my success is we just have a lot of really good habits. So you can start those now. And um, to understand that love is a choice. Mm. It is 100%. It is a choice. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough. Love, that whatever that song is from the 60s, you know, love is all you need. It's not true. Uh, by a small, tiny band called the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blanking on that. Sorry. Anyways, it's not true. Love is not all you need. You have to make a choice. And, and you need communication mm. and you need commitment and you need support and you need community. It's not all you need. You just struck a big chord here, my <laughs> dear, because you know how I feel about the word choice and the power yes. of choices. And, yes. And that regardless of our life's circumstance, that the one last human freedom 
that no one can take from us is our ability to choose. Right. When is a time that you've had to choose to love me? Oh, I'm going to turn that around on you too. Well, let's, let's just go deep. I'll say um, when you were sick after Charlie was born and your mental health was, you know, really compromised. Um, there were a lot of days there where I had to choose to love you because I was dealing with a newborn and three other screaming kids and a freezing cold house and, um, you know, my own postpartum emotions. So it was, it was a choice then, definitely. Um, but we got through mm-hmm. and we're stronger for it. Yes. So, yeah. How about you? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, definitely that period of time also, you know, w- with, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that I had to choose to love you. It's that I had to, I had to choose to let you love me. You know, mm-hmm. I really didn't feel worthy of being loved at that point. You know, I had, I was just beaten down by, the financial crisis and the fact that in a span of just five years, five years, we went from zero to four children and we went from having a great business to buying our first home to the financial crisis, to selling that home short, to moving to a great house that was a lot of fun but had no heating (laughs) (laughs) to really not uh, believing in, in anything that I had committed to and really wanting to make some changes out of the fact that they were expedient and they would make, take a little bit of pressure off of me and that they would make me feel comfortable. And I had no vision of the future and I really was scrambling and and a lot of that was because I was I the man the person that did not go through labor and delivery or carrying the baby our number 4 Charlie for 9 months I was the one diagnosed with postpartum depression like how humiliating is that and I was just like beyond love at that point I felt and I was concerned that you know, our marriage was in in jeopardy and was uncertain of the future. Do you have any insight, Lisa, based on, on what I just said or anything to add about choice and, and me making room to allow you to love me, despite the fact that I was completely felt completely broken and like my identity as what a man should do as the provider and the champion and the hero of the family was completely in the gutter? I think that we, we've had several of these experiences now in our life that you, we were allowed to go through that experience so we could help others. And you had been kind of on the edge of mental illness, I think for a long time. And Charlie's birth pushed it to the surface. And I think it was good. It was good that it was, we were able to deal with it because now you're so much stronger and you've been able to help other people, you know, and same thing with short selling the house and going through that crisis. Um, 
we've been able to counsel a lot of other people who've experienced same things. And same thing with having four kids close together. <laughs> we've been able to speak to other people from our experience that we would never have had otherwise. But I think, you know, for a long time, it was for a while there, you were not secure in my love for you. And there really wasn't anything else I could say to you that would make you realize it. You had to come to terms on your own Mm -hmm. through, honestly, through your healing and through prayer and you're just building your confidence in yourself back up. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. Yeah, you know, I, I realized recently, you know, that that my greatest fear about our relationship is that you not is is you not believing in me. Mm-hmm. It's not like you not finding me physically attractive. It's not having the you know, the fact that you know we don't, we don't have millions of dollars in the bank. Like none of those things really phase me, but. What phases me is the thought that you don't believe in me. That scares me. And, I, and it scares me because that word, believe, as our friend Kevin Hall educated us, the word, the suffix of that word leave is love. And so when you believe in me, you are being loved and you are making me feel loved. It doesn't mean that you have to believe and endorse all of my harebrained and ideas. Understand. I don't or, always understand. Or understand <laughs> them. Um, but, you know, and I have had a few harebrained ideas. <laughs> and, but you know what? More importantly, I believe in us. Yes. That's, I mean, that's uh, at the core of it. I believe in us. Yes. Always. Yes. So it's, it's, it's bigger and stronger than you and yes. me. Yes. So, and it's amazing how when you, one of the biggest byproducts of going through these challenges, whether they were our our fertility challenges, which are on the opposite side of the spectrum, in the sense that we are very fertile and didn't have any problems having children. In fact, we had them too quickly, in our opinion, anyway, at that time. Uh, the financial crisis, business challenges, what it's enabled us to do is have very difficult conversations and face them head on as opposed to letting them fester and create a wedge so that if i were giving one piece of advice to dating couples and we do this with when we are coaching engaged couples is to have those hard conversations immediately yeah don't don't yeah. let them fester don't let them drive a don't wedge let them don't no. let them become uh, stones of resentment right that prevent the fruit of your relationship from, from really blossoming. And I think that that's a strength that we've developed over time. It's not easy. Those aren't fun, rosy conversations, but they're important. 
No, that's, I think, uh, one of the things that came out of that same time of crisis is, and I tell this to people all the time, I mean, there's nothing we can talk, we can't talk about. Death, illness, despair, bankruptcy, you know, there's, there's nothing we can't talk about. That doesn't mean we've experienced all those things. Right. Um, you know, I was just saying to a friend the other day, like, I've never experienced real grief yet. And so, you know, that will be a new challenge that we will encounter someday. It's, it's in the mail. It's coming. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we have all the foundation and we have all the building blocks for continuing to have conversations when that comes. What scares you about facing grief? Uh, the totality of what you will feel. Um, how it will, from what I've heard, be all-encompassing and consuming. And, you know, I mean, I've had brief moments of that on the euphoric side in really happy moments with you and with our kids and, you know, where you're just totally consumed and really excited, but I've never had a negative total consumption, you know, experience. So, Is that something, know. when you think about that, is that something like you almost visualize? Yeah. yeah. So what do you see? Um, just what do you um, see yourself doing? Um, curling over in pain and agony. Um, you know, we we haven't talked about this for a while, but when we first were engaged and got married, my aunt, who was only thirteen years older than me, her husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and it was he's praise God still alive. He's beaten all the odds and way outlived the life expectancy of his illness, but. At that point, you know, it, our relationship was so new and it was very easy to draw parallels, you know, between their life and our life because they weren't that much older than us and everything. I would regularly have, I mean, panic attack is a strong word, you know, intense moments of, oh my gosh, what if you die? What if you die? And what will I feel like? What will that be like? What will happen? And, um, you know, with your encouragement with other people, I just have to really, I just don't think about that anymore. There's no point. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I just don't let myself go there. And then, you know, when we had friends who've lost children and for the most part, I just, I just don't let myself go there because there's no good to come of it. When you think back to your childhood or any period of your adolescence, even who brought out the best in you, who believed in you the most, who really made you believe and convinced that you could do anything? Oh, my dad, for sure. I was a child who wanted to be pleasing to my parents always, but I can remember whenever he would get home, I would, often it would just be very natural, but some days I would have to sit there and think for a minute, like what good thing can I tell my dad today that happened to me or that I did or I accomplished or whatever. And um, he was always affirming, always believed in me. Um, I can still remember when I was playing basketball and in junior high and showing some promise he really believed in me. He was like, you can play on the high school team. And then I did that for two miserable years and then that was over. But <laughs> um, he just, he always believed in me. And I remember when we started talking about going to colleges, um, you know, he, it was never like, well, if it works out or if you can do it, it was like, we will make this happen. Like, I believe in you. I know you can do this. We will make this happen. So. How do you try to carry that lesson, that experience forward in our, with our own kids? I try really hard to tell them that together we will figure anything out that they want, that 
that they want to do. You know, together we're going to figure out where they're going to go to high school and together we'll figure it out where they're going to go to college and we will help them figure out what the plan is for their life. So So moving into some of the more challenging questions, although these questions have been very good and insightful, I think, anyway, um, (laughs) since I'm the one that typed them up. (laughs) When I decided to launch this podcast, I... Kind I of figured like, there was going to be some kind of question about this. You know, kind of like, you know, when I knew I was supposed to marry you, it was very clear <laughs> that that I was supposed to marry you. I did not have a plan. I didn't know exactly how it was going to happen. I just knew it would happen and that I was supposed to do it. Yeah. And I didn't ask your permission necessarily. Like initially, obviously, I asked your permission later. You're here by free will, right? Right. <laughs> okay. Um, the... Uh, no, but when I when I decided to start this podcast, I just knew I needed to do it. And so in my Mikey Bulldog way, I did it and then told you about it after. And you I'd, asked for two microphones and the recorder for Christmas from your yeah. mom. <laughs> yeah. That's what launched right. it. And uh and I took you out to coffee and I said, Hey, I've got I'm doing this podcast. And I already got like five I've, interviews I've done. I've already got like six interviews done and I've got a production team and we're launching on April 11th. What was your initial reaction? Was that another moment where you had to choose <laughs> to love me? <laughs> I was like, okay, that sounds like a nice, you know, kind of like passion project, creative outlet for you. And I had no idea what it would entail nor who it would bring into your life. I thought, you know, I remember watching you before you got the production team a couple of times, trying to edit and trying to figure out, you know, how to make the sound good and get rid of all the ums and ahs and all that stuff like that. And I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, no way. (laughs) This is going to take you forever. Uh, You know, so much time. So, um, yeah, I mean, my initial thoughts were like, hmm, I don't know how this is going to, you know, play out but what has been the most surprising thing to you that's come from the last 99 episodes or the process either either a conversation an interview or series of interviews or or the whole entire process itself like what what lessons have you learned the most surprising thing well okay well lessons secondly but the most surprising thing is honestly how easily you get people to say yes to you. Like the, the number and the amount and, and the quality of the people who've said yes to you to being on the show has just constantly surprised me. You know, who would have ever thought you could interview Lou Holtz? You know, I mean, it just... Thank you, Bernie Swain, for that hookup. <laughs> yeah. And then the lessons, I mean, there's just been hundreds. I mean, virtually every episode, I I take away one little nugget, some of them, a lot of things. Um, and don't ask me to name specific things right now because it's going to be hard because I'm on like on the spot. No, I just, there's, I, and then the overarching thing that I've, I've seen and that I've um, learned is just the impact of having a positive outlook. That's the overarching thing because everybody you've talked to, everybody has had to, you know, make lemonade out of lemons at some point. Um, and then, you know, something interesting that there's a thread that goes through a lot of the conversations you have with people, especially since you started asking the questions about what the way your life was like as a child. There's a thread of 
parents who were very, very invested in their children and who loved their children unconditionally and who were great parents and who the adults you interview now say, I had great parents. And that's been very inspiring to me to think I, I want, that's, I want our kids to say that about us. No, I know that, you know, that the podcast initially was very concerning to you. Uh, and rightly so, because I really didn't know exactly. I knew I should do it, but I didn't know exactly why or what it was going to do or who it was, where it was going to lead and what would develop from it. But when was there, was there a turning point where you realized or you were like, wow, he's actually onto something and, and something is coming from this? I've I've never listened to the episodes like Monday morning right away first thing. I'm always like a little behind and you know I'll go in spurts and listen to like two or three of them right away and then you know take a break and for a while or whatever. Um and so I mean I I don't know. I, early on I remember thinking like wow, like this is there's some really good material here. Like I mean like Dr. Affermauer was fairly early on mm-hmm. and Cameron Harold was fairly early on and there was some like very good nuggets of wisdom that were applicable to me as a mother, you know, and me as a wife that were totally not business related. So, you know, pretty early on, I was getting a lot, getting a lot out of them. Then, I don't know, honestly, I would say, actually, it's probably like in the last six months, you know, where it's really crystallizing and the direction that you're moving and the reason for the podcast, I think, is becoming clear to both of us. And the reason being primarily just it's introduced you to so many people and new ideas and it will continue to. Uh, I think that's been kind of the real turning point for me. That brings up a really important point about the importance of alignment. Okay. So even though, even though I did launch the podcast and some other things without necessarily getting buy-in initially, because the reality is, let me just be really honest. The reality is that had I said, I'm thinking about starting a podcast, the answer would have been no. And there would have been a lot of questions that I didn't, wouldn't have had, had clear answers to. And I just needed to do it. I just know I needed to do it. So that's not necessarily marriage advice there that I'm giving. <laughs> but if you did happen to do something like that, you do have an obligation to bring your spouse or significant other on to the path with you and align each other with the vision because if you are growing apart then that is going to be something that is very detrimental to your marriage and you really really want your spouse to have the same vision to be on the vision and you know we literally just a few weeks ago went to a retreat in St. George Utah and my, my number one goal for the month of January was to basically create a pitch deck <laughs> to bring Lisa on board with all of my crazy ideas and vision of what I believe I'm being called to. And I am happy to say that I accomplished that goal. Great way to start the year off with a, a goal crushed. And I delivered successfully that pitch <laughs> on the airplane from Las Vegas to St. Oh no, from, from San, San Jose, Jose to Las to Vegas. Las Vegas. <laughs> and Lisa, are you on board? <laughs> yes, I'm on board yeah. now. <laughs> did, did you ask for a certain percentage of the vision? <laughs> anyway, moving on. 
I know from, this is going to be a hard question. Okay. This isn't about the podcast or a vision. This is about you. And I know that your relationships are very important to you. Your relationships with your siblings, your relationship with other people. And I want you to talk about what your greatest pains are, your greatest struggles with relationships with other people are. Um, you mean just in general or? Yeah. So what, what is the greatest struggle that you have with relationships? What do you feel constantly like we're doing, but no one else is doing for us? Oh, giving and inviting. I, I, that's probably the biggest struggle is that I feel like I extend myself, I make lots of invitations, I give a lot. Um, and, and of course it's reciprocated, you know, to a large degree, but um, yeah, well, and, and then just level of, of commitment and interest in the things that you and I are committed to and interested in. We're just, we're just really intense, I think. And there's not that many people that have the same energy and intensity level that we do. So yeah, I've um, been, I've been called intense before. Yeah. <laughs> Probably my biggest struggle with, all my relationships. If there would be a, a magic wand without changing anything of who we are, like our intensity, our passion, our drive, but if you could wave a magic wand and make that happen, what would you invite people to do? Respond in a timely way and, and be, be intentional in how you spend your time. Don't let the tide of busyness carry you away. And let days and weeks and months go by without spending time with people who are important to you mm-hmm. or communicating with them. We're in a season of life where a lot of our peers are, and us too, um, have a lot of things that keep us busy. And if you're not intentional with your relationships, you know, we're going to wake up in five years and there's going to be some people who are going to be just acquaintances because we haven't been able to connect. And I know there's a lot, there's, there's times when, you know, relationships ebb and flow and I've experienced that too. And so I know there'll be some that will come back into a flow later, you know, and mm-hmm. then there's some that we're just on a more similar path right now. So we enjoy it while it lasts. What do you think our greatest weakness is as a couple? Like to the outside world or like just internally you and me? If you, yeah, no. Obviously, this is the outside world's listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but if like if you were doing a self analysis, yeah, what do you think our greatest weakness is? Um, By the way, I'm very uncomfortable asking this question. <laughs> um, I that we are kind of closed off hmm. to new people and to people who are really different than us. Elaborate. I mean, until we went to St. George. Well, our, I mean, kind of before that, but honestly, I have lived in a, a, I've been coddled and protected and lived in a bubble, not entirely my own making, you know, partly just life circumstances, but with pretty like-minded, similar values, similar upbringing, you know, people and uh, have not tried real hard to go outside of that. So I think that a lot of people would see that, that, you know, our whole life kind of revolves around our church, 
the kids' school and our, you know, family and our close friends. And we don't, you know, we we serve the people that exist in those circles, but we don't try to serve people outside of that. What did you learn? What are you grateful that you learned in in our most recent experience going way outside of, in particular, let's be frank, like it's way outside. It was, you had never been to a conference like this before. Yeah. I, you know, so what, what are you grateful that you learned there? Um, that, you know, you're going to find things in common with people everywhere you go. And if you put yourself out there, you'll have great experiences with people and find commonalities that you would not see mm. uh, on the surface. Mm. Yeah. First blush. Yeah. Leave room to be surprised. Yeah. I, and yeah, I mean, we were at this great retreat in St. George and there were people from all walks of life and it was a really big deal that Lisa came with me. And it's not to say that you have a, a, a fixed mindset or anything, but we do end up in this feedback loop, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. where we go to the same store, we see the same people, same experiences, mm-hmm. same newsfeed stories, same same channel, same day, same whatever. And we start filtering out things, but that really limits and constrains opportunity from presenting itself, you know, because if you're just looking for the same thing, you'll always see the same thing, Mm -hmm. right? But this was really pattern breaking. And I feel Mm -hmm. like it was really kind of a breakthrough for us in terms of what really we are capable of doing in the world. That's, that's big. It's exciting. And that and that truth presents itself always in packaged up in a little bit different way. It sounds a little bit different than the truth we've heard before, but it's still truth. Mm-hmm. What is going back to the relationships? What is one of the biggest things people misunderstand about you? Gosh. <laughs> um, I think there's a perception out there that I'm like super with it and have things organized all the time and always really all right on top of it. And um, I think that's, I mean, certainly there's an element of that. I'd like to be organized. I like to have things the way I like them and together, but behind the facade is, you know, sometimes I'm just barely keeping my nose above water, you know, Um, behind, behind all that is uh, a lot of, intensity and times that I am probably in the name of staying organized, brushing aside my children's needs, uh, you know what I mean? Or glossing over their wants because I, by golly, I'm going to have all those dishes done and I'm going to have this house clean. Mm-hmm. And even if that means they don't get a story read tonight or something like that. Do you feel a a sense of pressure to to manage things so that people keep up this perception? Do you, I mean, see how, like, do you care what people think of you? Like, do you care too much about what people think of you? Certainly. I mean, I really, honestly, I think everybody does. I I mean, I think don't, don't, don't lie to yourself and think you don't care about what other people think. Um, I think it's just a matter of to what degree do you let that decide your whole future? Do you let that determine your, the course you take of the day you take? No. But yes, I certainly, I, you know, I want to keep up with appearances 
Um, but part of it also is that that's, it's, it's the things that are really important to me. So what people perceive, a lot of those things are what really is important to me. So I do want to keep it up. Mm-hmm. When you think about the vision that we talked about on the airplane and that um, I'm really excited about and you're now really excited about, what are your hopes? We're going to start first there. What are your hopes for how that comes out? Like, in, like what do you see? Like, what, what do you dream of as it relates to that vision now that you're, you understand where we're going with helping people claim their purpose and, and the, the book that I'm working on and the podcast? And what do you hope for? I, I hope that people's lives are changed. I hope that people get on the path that they're meant to be on because we've seen it firsthand in our lives what it's like to know that you are on the right path, know that you're in God's will. Um, it's so reassuring. It's so uplifting. And you get into the flow state, as I talk about many times on this podcast. Um, that's my hope. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty when it when it comes to executing and implementing the vision. And obviously, we have our plans and we have the ideas of how it might all work out. But those are our ideas and God has maybe other ideas. And and yes, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknowns. And stepping out into the unknown has been something that, that you've shared with me has made you very uncomfortable. So what makes you uncomfortable about our vision? Uh, what if it takes years to execute? What if we get you know, to the 75 yard line and things fall apart. You know, what if I actually, no, let's be really real. This is what I'm afraid of. This is going to be another one of those things that you're real excited about now and you kind of got the game plan and then you're going to change your mind in a couple months (laughs) again. (laughs) Or you're going to say, well, no, now I have this other idea because you've had, you know, two or three different book ideas and you've had four or five different paths you thought you would take once you started this. And, um, but I feel fairly certain that we're, this is actually, we're honing in and this is really mm-hmm. what it's, what it's supposed to be. This and is the closest so. that I've ever felt. Yeah. Before. Yeah. No, and I, I've observed that in you. So, yeah. yes. And, uh, and yeah, you know, there's, a, but you know, I, like I always tell people that, you know, we are called to be light in the world. And the only way that that could possibly happen is, is if we step into the darkness and, that's where miracles happen. And, and I just can't wait to see what happens. And even if it has such a, even if it doesn't have a global impact, like it's really impacted us. It's impacted me. It's, and it will impact our children. And who knows what any one of them will go on to do in their life, you know? And I'm, I'm just really excited to be on this journey with you. And and be married to you, and to have four beautiful children with you, and for you to be blowing your nose while we're doing this interview. <laughs> so it's three years from today, and you've been able to build upon your core strengths and add your those core strengths to our our vision and to what God is doing in our life, and take advantage of opportunities. And we've experienced financial rewards. But not just financial rewards. We've also experienced and see people performing at their fullest. So 
How would you describe the change in your relationships at that point? And what is one thing that you contributed that had the greatest impact? Uh, The change in our relationships, I think. Well, first of all, I'm certain there's going to be a lot of new relationships. I mean, we've already started some new ones, but I definitely see that coming through this and through your involvement with the Genshai group and everything else that... um, Our involvement. Yeah, our. But you in a a really strong way. Um, There's going to be a lot of new relationships. And what was the second part? When you think about our vision and you think about it oh, three years impact. from now, what is the what is the contribution that you made has had the biggest impact? Um, honestly, I think my biggest contribution is just going to be being your biggest fan and your number one support. Um, I do, I mean, I hope to have some tangible aspect once you get into more of the final product. You know. I'm I'm excited to look at that with you and you know maybe help you edit the book some and you know stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think will be. So as we begin to conclude our conversation, first of all, it's been really fun having you on the show. Thank you. As our special guest. <laughs> Do you have any questions that pop into your mind that I haven't written down that you want to ask me uh before we get to the last three questions? Where are you going for the next hundred interviews? Where am I going? Like, what are you going to, you know? Oh, what are you I've, got, do? I've got so many cool things coming. Um, <clears throat> I've got a, a senior editor of Harvard Business Review coming on, Daniel McGinn. I've got a really well-known, famous CrossFit athlete named Christmas Abbott coming on. I've got another Olympic swimmer coming on named Caroline Burkle. I've got a, a guy named. Steve, who has reinvented himself uh, multiple times and is a very successful entrepreneur. And then I have uh, some really regular, normal people who are doing insanely cool things. I mean, Jason Coombs Mm -hmm. coming on, Mm -hmm. who is a recovery expert. And I've got Heather and, and Nate. Mm-hmm. coming on who have an incredible story of overcoming adversity. You know, this show its mission is really to to show people what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. And if they believe in themselves, if they b- belief precedes the ability to do anything. You have to in order to learn anything, you have to believe that you are capable of of learning. You have to believe that you can do something. And the reality is that you know this happens from the time that we start walking, from the time that we start riding bikes. It's not necessarily that we have an an you know a, an innate belief in our ability to to walk or run or ride a bike, but the reality is is that one day we go from crawling to standing up and we start walking and we start falling. But one major thing happens is that we get back up and that the people that we're surrounded by cheer us on because they know what we're capable of. So number one, you've got to believe in yourself. Number two, you've got to surround yourself with people who believe in you and that we all are created with unique and powerful purpose 
and there is nothing common about us. We are all so uncommon and capable of achieving so much greatness, both you and I and our kids and everyone listening. And I honestly, I don't want this just to be another podcast that's inspirational and that people feel pumped up by briefly. I want them to this stuff to move them. Honestly, that's, that's what gets me pumped up about this stuff. It's what gets me up in the morning. And just reaching into people's hearts and getting them to believe that they were created for purpose. And that it's not something that they need to go find. It's, it's something that already exists. and They just need to learn how to see it. And so the guests that I have got coming up are, are, are very much in that vein of teaching people how to find it. And to look at the challenges that they've had in, in the lives in their life as guideposts, not as as obstacles, but as guideposts leading them to that discovery. There's this great quote that we learned about when we were in St. George, Utah, and I love it. And it's going to be at the very beginning of the course that I'm creating. And it says, the cave that you fear to enter is where the treasure lies. And that treasure is our hearts. And that is where the treasure lies. And I, I hope that people embrace that and seek it because it's ready. For, it's waiting for them to find it. So, sorry for that rant. <laughs> um, long answer to a short question. So if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess. <laughs> oh, okay, gosh. I, I didn't know if you were going to answer okay. this, three, this one. Three questions. Oh. Three questions. Same three questions. If you could pick any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? I think you've said this or another guest has said this, but connecting people. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's, I mean, you and I are both, we really enjoy that. And we really, I think it's a strength of both of ours. Mm -hmm. Um, But in particular, I love when I see, um, especially to women who I'm, you know, acquaintances or friends with, and I see them connect, um, you know, because of a a shared need or experience um, or something they enjoy together. I love that. I would love to be able to do that, you know, every day, not just once in a while. What are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing our full God-given potential? I'm not enough. That's We, we talked about that a lot. Um, and I think that's been a recent uh, new mantra of mine is I am enough, just as I am. People lie to themselves about money a lot. You know, um, I like, I think, live in reality, you know, live in the reality of, of what you spend, what you have. Don't live in a fantasy land. Um, and another lie we tell ourselves, um, things or things are so easy for that other person mm. or, you know, they really, they have it all or they have it so easy because of this or that. And what's that quote? Envy is the thief of joy. Comparison, Comparison is the thief, is of, the joy. thief of joy. Yeah. yeah. So, very true. Have, is there a case where, where that's, where, cons, where con, comparison has stolen your joy in particular? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think about it often, you know, we live in California and real estate's very expensive here. So, it's very easy to compare, you know, especially our old, when we were just renting and other stuff, you know, compare our homes to these beautiful homes that our acquaintances and friends had. 
and uh, you, you start to think about that. And then you, you know, we'd hear from some of these couples the tremendous pressure they were under to keep that house. Mm-hmm. The tr- or, or conversely, the tremendous gift they were given financially, somehow, some way, in order to do that. And it was like, oh, okay, well, that just kind of, you know, takes out a lot of the pressure. Like, that's just not our reality. So we're just going to be grateful for what we have. I just added this question. Okay. Surprise question. <laughs> I asked this question of JP uh, of JP Sears, you know, uh, last yeah. last year, a long time ago. Question is, if someone were to write a novel about you, what would be the most surprising thing that they discover? <laughs> um, it could be shocking. It could be shocking. I mean, it could. It don't don't hold back. You know. Oh, I can't think of it. I feel like I need to supply some really juicy answer. Um, what would be shocking to know about? Juicy answers are allowed on this show. <laughs> uh, I got my belly button tattooed in Florence when I was studying abroad at a really sketchy tattoo parlor. Yeah, and what happened? <laughs> and it got infected and I passed out in the shower twice. <laughs> and your lame Italian boyfriend had to like come rescue you no, or something? No, no. Thank God I was living another American student. No, I came too and I got myself out. I mean, by probably by angels <laughs> help. Um, yeah, it could have been really bad. Could have hit could've, my head could have bled, bled out. out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Shocker. Yeah. Okay, last question. Okay. And we'll wrap it up. Okay. So you can get your beauty sleep. Yes. Yes. How will you measure your life? If you think about uh, your funeral and you think about what are people going to say, or more importantly, the rosary the night before, because that's a lot more fun. You know, people share funny stories and stuff then, or the party afterwards. Oh, no, I know this is it. I, I want there to be a great party. After my funeral, I want there to be a lot of people who loved me, who enjoyed knowing me, who I made an impact on their lives, and they want to be together to celebrate that. That, That's what I'm going to measure. Friends, I want to challenge you all right now because one of my biggest beefs with this particular answer, and many people have given it a similar answer, is the number of people that show up at my funeral and say nice things about me. Why the hell do we have to wait for the funeral? <laughs> Let's celebrate now. Yeah. Friends, if you like me, if you like Lisa, or you like anybody, like tell them. Tell them what you appreciate that, about them. Laugh with them. Celebrate with them. Do it now. Do not wait. Because one of the number one lies I believe that we tell ourselves that prevents us from realizing our full potential is that we have time. Because we never know when our day will come where we will be called home. So the time is now. Last and final comment is that it's more of a question. Have you ever considered a career in soft rock radio? Because you totally have like, this is Lisa Flynn at K-Bay Soft Rock. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out 
Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting FlynnWealthStrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.